You know when you speak, you believe God for a lot of things to happen. Sometimes you want people to receive insight. Other times, inspiration. But neither of those are my goal. I'm asking God to ignite your faith. Not so something will happen, so it'll happen now. It says in Isaiah 53, 1, who believed our message? Who believed it? It's Isaiah 53, the suffering Messiah. Who believed that God would become like a human and give himself to a horrible death? Like, who would have really believed that story? To whom believed our message and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? When I was in the first service of this morning, I saw in the Holy Spirit as we worship, literally, I mean, it was the best way, a picture of God's arm. It was like no arm I've ever seen. The rock's arm was like real thin compared to it. And it came down and smashed the obstacles in your life. It came down. So I'm asking today for God to reveal his arm to you. I'm entitled this message, The Walls Came Tumbling Down. Joshua, faith for your Jerichos. I'm asking God to give you faith for the impossible. The things you've waited on days, weeks, months, even years, and there's not been a crack in the wall. That thing you're believing for with one of your children, your health, your marriage, your business, your finances, that business on the vert bankruptcy it seems like, that child you've lost hope for, I'm asking God to come and touch your faith for the impossible. It says in Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And we know from archaeology, the walls of Jericho really did implode by an earthquake around the very time this story is written. They fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. I'll break this message, talk about some precedents, the person of the man God used, his peril. We'll extract a few principles and apply it to God's plan for your Jerichos. Holy Spirit, we ask now you'd come. We ask you know the Jerichos in this room. You know the pain in this room. And I'm asking that you would reveal your arm. You'd reveal your power. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we feel like, We've been marching in circles around this morning. You'd meet us, amen. He was a precedent-setting man. He's probably the toughest leadership transition one of in history. Would you like to replace Moses? Face glowed when he talked to God. Seas parted. Bread fell down from heaven and fed two and a half million people. Empires destroyed. In fact, in his devotional time, clouds would hang around. How would you like to be his replacement? And when he took the job, it was frightening. God said, oh, by the way, take that two and a half million people across the Jordan River. It was swollen to a mile and a half wide, mile wide. No bridges. Now, that wasn't enough. The impossible awaited them. Who was he? His name was Joshua. He'd grown up around Moses. He'd been like his EA 
kind of serving him as a kid. As he grew up, it became clear to Moses that one day this boy would replace him. But how do you re- replace Moses? I mean, the Ten Commandments. God spoke to him audibly. He was so intimate with God and his devotions that when he'd come out of his prayer time, he'd keep his faith veiled so as not to scare you. And when he'd pull away the veil to speak, the glory of God would shine off his face. They'd been here 40 years before. He'd been a kid then. They said no to God and ran, and only he and Caleb and their wives and children had survived. Whole generation, 20 and over, gone. Lost all his friends. It hadn't been simple. Moses went on the top of a mountain to pray one day. He never came back. They could never find his body. There was no, like, funeral service where they could have really gotten their grief. He just disappeared. Maybe some just were still waiting. He'd come back for 30 days. They cried. And they cried. And they wept. Imagine that. And you're the man. And you don't have that budding miracle rod in your hand. Now you're pinned between the wilderness and the promised land with the people who had run 40 years ago. You know, it was perilous. God just kind of cast it. Oh, by the way, bring him across the Jordan River. Never told him how. I've been to the Jordan both sides, Jordanian and Israeli side. You know, it's, I don't know, 10 yards wide now, slow moving. They've dammed a lot of it up for hydroelectric power. But back in the day when it flooded, it would flood a mile wide. Thickets filled with lions. And God just tells you, oh, by the way, walk that two and a half million people over that. How many of you ever feel like telling God, I know it's okay up here, but I live down there. You ever feel that way? Like, Lord, I know it's real peaceful in heaven. It ain't so peaceful down here. And then he said, once you cross, oh, by the way, take the city of Jericho. Now, that city, and you'll see a slide in a moment, it is the second, to this day, the second longest inhabited history, city in human history. Archaeologists say it was the first walled city. The walls were nine feet thick, 13 feet high, and that did not include the berms they were on. It was impossible. They had no catapults. No siege equipment. And God said, by the way, when you cross over the flooded Jordan, just take that city while you're at it. He's replacing the greatest leader in all of history at that point, facing the impossible. You ever feel like in your path, there's something you can't bypass, you can't get around it? Many of you right now, there's a Jericho in your mind, and in the middle of those walls, there's one of your children, your health, your business, a loved one, your spouse, your finances, your psychological state. Say, Jim, I keep feeling like God's got this for me, but I can't get these walls down. Jim, I'm just not equipped. Like the children of Israel, I've got no catapults, I've got nothing. What do you do when that's you? What do you do when you've been believing Years. What do you do when the doctor says, oh, we think your wife's cancer spread to the brain and you're driving back home in the middle of the night to your four small children and you're afraid? What do you do when the doctor looks and says, you've destroyed your health, quit working, you're in your 30s for two years. Been there, done that. What do you do when you're holding a child and there's no answers and he's dying in your arms? What do you do? 
Where do you find faith? What sustains you? I want to look at the principles he lived by that I want to apply into this situation. Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, second part, he says, Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. Beloved, sooner or later, it's just not enough to stare at your problem. How many of you know if staring at our problem and praying about our problem were the same, we'd all be prayer warriors? <laughs> sooner or later, you've got to move. Sooner or later, you've got to step out. And many times when we say we're waiting on the Lord, in reality, we're just paralyzed. I'm waiting on the Lord. No, you're paralyzed. I mean that in the Jordan River, why is there always a flood at the mouth of our promised land? Because the faith we develop crossing into our promised land is the faith we need when we get there. They looked at that river. God didn't tell it. God said, get the ark, put it in front, get the praise, line everyone back. How many of you know two and a half million people in Amos, long line? God says, tell them to step forward. Joshua's thinking, tell them to like step forward. How about maybe parting this thing? There are some of you waiting for God to part your Jordan, and he's waiting for you to step out. Will you just step out? Will you just move? God, when I see it clearly, I'll go. You may never go. That's not faith. But the moment the feet of those priests touched the Jordan, parted. And now there's Jericho, but he had a mandate. Our mandate is defined by the promises we receive through God's word and spirit. He said, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given it to you, son. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll not leave you. What are they saying? Listen, the minute you cross this Jordan, you're in your promised land. These are the boundaries. Why would God give him the boundaries? Because they said this. In the boundaries of what I've promised you, no one can stand against you. In the boundaries of your promised land, you are invincible. You may say, Jim, well, what's my promised land? Pastor, what are the boundaries? Now, in general, we all have the same boundaries. Every promise in Scripture is the general boundary of your promised land. But how does God make that specific? How does God, in the moment of trial, how does God in the moment when you're crossing over, how does God in that moment make your boundaries specific? How does he do it? He takes the living word of God and he quickens it. Normally it's a scripture. He just makes it alive to you. Other times he whispers by the Holy Spirit. Other times there's just the impression of his presence. When the doctor said, man, we think the cancer's in your wife's brain, so sorry, sleep well. They hadn't been hired for their bedside manner. I got in the car driving into the darkness, and God said, don't pray for her. I go, have you given up too? He goes, she's fine. And when he said she's fine, the peace of heaven flowed into me and suppressed my fear. When the doctor said, you're done, your health is broken. I'd already been broken in the jungles with hepatitis. Your health is over. God said, not so. Not so. And beloved, God will give you a mandate. 
His word will begin to define your life. And when you begin, I'm walking, this is what God has said. But when that word doesn't seem to be fulfilled, it's been days or weeks or months or years, how do you sustain your faith? How do you walk when there's no crack in your wall? How do you walk when you can't see change? When I married Kathy and her dad was right here in D.C., very powerful man in the government, agnostic, God said, I will save her dad before he dies. 19 years later, after praying 365 days a year, holding that word, he turned to Christ at 80, died at 81. How do you sustain your faith? How do you walk in such a way where you see no change? Maybe things are even seeming to get worse. There's just no cracks in the wall. What do you do? Well, you've got to maximize that word, and you're going to find hearing the word is not enough. You've got to obey. He told them in Joshua 1, 6 and 7, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do everything according to the law Moses commanded you. Obey my word. Don't turn from it right or left, that you may have success. What is God saying? Not enough to hear, you best obey. If God says you need to believe, you need to believe. God says you need to obey, you need to obey. Give, you need to give. You maximize that word when you live in that word as if it's happened. This is what you said. You're going to save her debt. This is what you said. I'm going to be healed. Now, at the very key to all of this, when you're in a situation, when you're walking around your Jericho, hours, days, weeks, months, years, it's your relationship First, with the living God through his word. He says this in Joshua chapter 180. He says, this book of the law. And then they didn't have the whole Old and New Testament. He just had the first five books written by Moses. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. What's that mean? You speak that word. I've learned long ago, you don't fight the thoughts of unbelief and fear with thoughts. That's like ping pong. You fight them with speaking the word. My mind says, your wife's dead. This is what God says. My mind says, you'll never recover. This is what God said. Then my mind says, listen, you know your son's going to die. You remember your brother died at the same age. This is what God said. Now, the Bible says, don't let the law depart out of thy mouth. That means two things. One, don't cease to speak it. And two, don't let your victory escape out of your mouth by speaking unbelief. Many of us we come and receive a word on Sunday, and by Tuesday, well, it really ain't going to happen. I figured it. I went to work. Nothing could change. Oh, they promised to promote me. 24 hours has gone since that word. I still ain't promoted. <laughs> and we wonder, where'd my victory go? Out of your mouth. Your faith leaks out of your mouth. It does not leak out of your mind. It leaks out of your mouth. And if you give in to the unbelief that rages in your mind and let it out of your mouth, you will deflate your faith. The battle in the end is not in your mind, it's in your mouth. Because sooner or later, if you give it in your mind, it'll come out your mouth. I knew it. Thought, I never really thought it would happen. Oh, I hoped before. Why? We want to insulate ourselves from the possibility of failure. Then he says this. But instead of letting it out of your mouth, 
Meditate on it day and night because it'll make you very careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. What's it mean to meditate? Man, I was told in church, meditate for years. Okay, what's that mean? Well, it's like a cow chewing his cud. How many of that's not helpful at all? What's it mean? I'm not really a cow. I don't got multiple stomachs. My one is big enough for multiple anyway. Like, what do you do? Like, what does it mean? You know, biblically and neurobiologically, let me tell you, take that scripture, slowly read it. Read it out loud several times. Read it slowly and deliberately. Vary your level of feeling and intonation and rhythm and emphasis. Why? Because we want that word to work in the deepest level of consciousness in the right side of our brain where our embodied knowledge of self and God is. Slow it down. Speak it. Emphasize it. Write it out. Take your non-dominant hand, which is my right hand. Write it out. Why? It's because scientists say when we use our non-dominant hand, it affects the right side of the brain. Use different colored markers. Close your eyes and imagine what God is saying. Do a picture. Put it in your journal. Tell someone why. Because you're going to let that powerful word loose. And if you do not feed on the word, you'll be fed on. If you don't eat the word, the circumstance will eat you. God said, Joshua, if you're going to take these giants, take these cities, son, you better speak that word. You better live in that word. I remember one day, crisis struck me. In four hours, major financial deal gone, major church mess, major family mess. And four hours, I was in the most pain I could ever remember. God said, shut up. He said, you better only quote the Bible for the rest of the day or your faith will leak out of your mouth. The rest of the day, I just spoke scripture because I know my tongue is the rudder in my storm. And if I let the unbelief raging on the inside get out the outside, my victory would go with it. Now, when you get in a situation, when you're believing, maybe it's years, Kathy and I, we, we've prayed for decades. We've been praying for her, we'll be married 40 years in June. We've been praying for her brother to be saved 40 years. He will be saved. God's told us. Now, other than learning to meditate on that word, you also have to learn how to manage fear. How many of you know you can have faith and be scared to death at the same time? Raise your hand. In fact, I kind of think fear is a sign of faith. Because if you're not afraid, you're probably not walking in faith. You've got to figure it out. Now, you come to a place in faith you're not afraid anymore, but let me tell you, that's an interesting place. And so if you're going to walk this walk of faith, you've got to learn to manage fear and anxiety. You learn in the Christian life, there's some things you eradicate. There are other things you just have to manage because when you're walking in the impossible, it scares you. It makes you anxious. Now, one of the verses that I find most perplexing in the Bible, God gives all these commands. They just, I don't know what to think of them. Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you know that's almost impossible? Raise your hand. Oh, by the way, says the Lord, don't ever worry. If I was omniscient, that might help, but I'm not. Okay, like, don't worry. Now, Paul was a brilliant neuroscientist before there was neuroscientists. And by the Holy Spirit, he realized you can't put off without putting on. So instead of being anxious, instead of giving in to worry, 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you can't figure out why, it'll guard your heart, guard your emotions, guard your brain, guard your mind. Now what is Paul saying? If you will worship through your worries instead of worrying over your worries, you'll have victory. What am I saying? Stop worrying over your anxieties and worship over your anxieties. How's that work? And I have to manage anxiety all the time. I'm gonna walk out of this door and I go back to take a break between the next service. There are plenty of things for me to worry about. I could list them. How many of you find that worries are fairly faithful? I mean, you may get like an hour or two without worries, but if you really look, there's always something to worry about. How do you manage that? Because you need to manage it because when it comes to anxiety, out of sight is not out of mind. It can work in you. So here's how I manage it. Like when I go home tonight in the hotel earlier, I begin to give God my anxieties. God, I thank you for this. This is what you said. God, I worship you. I know you're true in his life. I know you're true in her life. I know you've never failed me. This is what happened last time. And as I worship, three things happen. One is spiritual, one is neurochemical, and one is psychological. You see, when you worship and you connect with God through the spiritual disciplines, all of a sudden, the life of God begins to flow into you. Peace of God, love of God, presence of God. And all of a sudden, you begin to feel God's love. Now, you are designed to respond to the presence of God just like you're designed to respond to the presence of a trusted human. Daryl Jewell right here, if he puts his hands on her shoulder, she trusts him, and in five seconds, her oxytocin level is affected. Let me tell you, it's one thing to be touched by the man you love or the woman you love, but when God touches you, you're in for a whole different thing. When the God of the universe puts his hand on your shoulder, when he speaks your name, when you feel his love and worship, all of a sudden, in that loving presence, you are showered with positive neurochemicals. Your oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin levels are affected. And all of a sudden, you're being showered with these feel-good chemicals, part spiritual, part neurochemical. But when you do, even though nothing's changed, your psychology changes. You've gone from being fearful, time secure in his love. You've gone from being doubtful to he can do everything. And that is why as you manage your anxiety on a daily basis, you stay flooded with his peace, loved by the God of the universe who loves you, but you experience it, and it changes your psychology. Now watch me. Beloved, I'm an expert on stress. Do I have a degree in stress? No, I just have a lot of experience being stressed. I remember a few years ago, I was managing more crises than usual. got so bad, I was finding trouble breathing. My lips had gone numb. My extremities were going numb. And my youngest daughter said, why am I always the one home to take you to the hospital? She took me to the emergency room. I get in there. Maybe I took the wrong medicine. What's wrong? Is a jungle disease eating me? I'm sitting there. It's getting worse and worse. I'm worshiping anxiety instead of worshiping God. God said, what are you here for? I think, what am I here for? My God, look at all the burdens you gave me. He goes, there's nothing wrong with you. I go, that don't quite feel right. He goes, you're just stressed. Don't waste your money. Go home. I go, what? Don't go home. So I invited all the nurses to church and went home. <laughs> and I began to worship. And I began to thank him. And I began to praise it. And it was gone. Now, 
There's a time to go to the hospital, but there's a time to worship through your anxieties instead of worrying through them. And what you do not manage through worship, you'll muddle through in worry. And if you're going to make it in faith, if you're going to walk in faith, if you're going to believe for the impossible, you've got to learn to meditate on that word and manage your fear. Now, let's put this plan into action. We won't look at Joshua 5, but in Joshua 5, Joshua's got our favorite Christian posture. We call it prayer. In reality, it's worry. He's staring at Jericho. If I stare long enough, it'll disappear. If I stare long enough at this situation, I'll figure it out. No, you won't. You've been staring at it a long time. All of a sudden, a giant divine being comes down. It happens to be Jesus, the angel of the Lord. The sword is drawn. Joshua goes, whose side are you on? Neither. It's me. He hits the ground. Scared to death, and God says, behold, see, I've given Jericho into your hands. Jericho, Joshua peeks up. I don't see much change in it. See, I've given Jericho into your hands. And here's my little plan. You ever discover that sometimes God's plan's worse than your problem? Son, go back, gather the armies together. The whole army, why? Because it takes a family to deal with the Jerichos in your life. One of the reasons God has designed your Jericho is to bring you into family because you don't have faith alone for it. Get the whole army. By the way, I want you to march around Jericho every day for six days. He's thinking, where's the heavenly catapults? Where's the angelic battering ram? Where's that big butted rod that's now hiding out in the ark? I wish I could get it out. Why is it we always want to go into antiquity to find something to save us when God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? If he wanted you to have a budding rod, it wouldn't be in the ark. He's got all you need right in your hand. Now watch this. Son in said, by the way, don't say a word. Why don't say a word? If you were marching around a walled city getting jeered, mocked, and trash shot on you by catapults, what would you want to say? I might just imagine Daryl and I in that march, day six, and him, Daryl, I knew it wasn't going to work. I thought same thing, Brother Jim. I just didn't want to say it. Why did God say, keep your mouth shut? Because he knew their victory would come out of their mouth. But if it could not come out of their mouth, the pressure would build up, and they'd be forced to deal with it by the word. They'd remind themselves that the Jordan parted. They'd remind themselves their parents said, the manna fell. God will silence your mouth to force you to deal with your mind. And on the seventh day, the Lord said, by the way, on the seventh day, march around it seven times. Right before your victory, it's always worse. Right before your victory, the exertion level goes up. That's why so many people break down at the breakthrough. They break down at the breakthrough. Oh, and by the way, have the, have the worshipers, have the seven priests toot them horns. Why? When you mix worship with the word, you got nitroglycerin. All they could do was meditate on the word for six days and listen to worship horns. Oh, and go around seven days and boom, the walls will fall down. Now, we know from archaeologists that really happened. They imploded with an earthquake. What's that mean for us? That means by definition, it took the whole army. No one of you can conquer your Jericho. Their demeanor, march under arms, armed with that word, not saying a word. Don't let unbelief spoil your victory. Don't let your victory out of your mouth. Their duration, seven days. The good news is they knew how long it was going to take. The bad news is we don't. 
Lord, did you say seven hours, seven seconds? Seven days, a long time, Sunday to Sunday, I'm not sure I can make it. You didn't really mean seven weeks, did you? Seven months, seven years. How long does it take? I don't know. It takes as long as needed to bring your faith to the point he can reveal his arm. What are you waiting on, God? You. And if there's someone else involved, maybe them. Here's what's really ugly. Their direction was they marched in circles. Some of you feel like, I'm going in a circle today, Pastor. I'm real linear, Jim. You don't get it. I'm an A to like Z woman. I'm an A to Z man. Oh, no, no, no. God doesn't always get into these lying things. He loves circles. I've just been circling around this thing over and over. What am I waiting for? For God to knock it down. For you to get so sick of seeing it there, you finally believe. Where do you find yourself today? What are you marching around? There's hundreds of Jerichos here this morning. In a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. Those who have a Jericho, which is the majority of us, I've got two or three. I could use some help. And I'm, I'm going to have you visualize what you're believing for surrounded by walls. And we're going to, and, and I want you to visualize what you, and I want you to think of the people around you. And then I'm going to, we're going to speak the word. I'm going to count to three. We're going to give a shout and believe for God to begin to tumble walls. And then we're going to do the same with our corporate Jericho. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? I know circles are hard. I know not realizing when something is going to end is hard. I know some of you have been believing days, weeks, months, years. There's no crack. There's no noticeable change. But let's let God reveal his arm. Here this morning you say, I have a Jericho. The walls need to come down. Raise your hand. If your hands are up, stand to your feet. Are you ready for this? Holy Spirit, I'm asking now. Reveal your arm. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, you've given us your word. You say the weapons of our warfare are not natural. They're mighty in God to the destroying of strongholds. And we apply your word today. We ask you, knock the walls down. Are you ready? I'll count to three. We'll shout. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Bravo. Knock the walls down. Shatter them. Break them. Your word is mighty. Your word is great. They're falling down. Falling down. Falling down. We apply your word. We stand on your word. We believe your word. They're falling. They're crumbling. They're shattering. They're crumbling. Fall. 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 Now close your eyes. Can you vision the greater D.C. area? Your community, team, unit, office, neighborhood. God, let's say it, Lord Jesus, we bring your weapons. We bring prayer. We bring your word. 
We apply them to our city. Tear down the walls. One, two, three. Hallelujah!